This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. I love to wake up, throw on a podcast, and add a scoop of AG1 to about 8 to 12 ounces of cold water, shake it up, and sip on that while I make my coffee and my breakfast. It's super refreshing and it tastes really good. I look forward to it every morning almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which for me is saying a lot. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity throughout the day. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it can be really hard to get fresh fruits and veggies, not to mention organic, when you travel to some of these remote climbing areas. I love knowing that every time I drink my AG1 in the morning, my day is covered. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com nugget. That's drinkag1.com nugget. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. My go-to products are the Repair Cream, the Performance Cream, and the Dry Spray. I have naturally sweaty skin, and I find the Performance Cream and the Dry Spray especially helpful when I'm sport climbing or climbing on long boulder problems, because if I can keep my hands from sweating, I don't have to stop and chalk up as often, that can make all of the difference on a pumpy sport climb or a long boulder. And I like to use the repair cream in the evenings most days. That's my go-to product. I just use it to help my skin heal between sessions on my projects. Whether you have sweaty skin like me and have trouble keeping chalk on your hands, or maybe you have dry, glassy skin and you have the opposite problem, Rhino Skin Solutions has products that are designed just for you and your skin type. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off and start taking better care of your precious skin today. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. If you are new to the show, this is a climbing podcast where it is my job to extract as many nuggets as I can from some of the best climbers in the world. Often those come in the form of insights, training tips, performance tactics, sometimes just great life advice. And there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode. My guest today is Melina Costanza. She is back on the show. This is her second appearance on the podcast and actually her second appearance this year. Her first episode was back in April, episode 164, if you want to check that out. And I usually don't do that. I usually don't have a guest back on so soon, but a lot has happened for Melina since our first conversation Back in April, she was still recovering from foot surgery and was taking a long break away from competition. Well, she's come back to competition and she's done it in a very big way. She swept the U.S. National Championships back in October and I had to have her back on and talk to her about it. So in a lot of ways, this is a continuation of our first episode, but I think it stands alone as well if you know some of Melina's story. I just appreciate Melina. I really enjoy talking to her. She's very thoughtful. She's very interested in learning. She's soaking up information at this stage in her career. She shared a couple great books and podcasts and things that she's learned from and talked about some of the lessons from those things. 
and was very open about her own personal experiences as well. Of course, in our first episode, we talked about her struggles with an eating disorder and how that took her out of the sport for a while. We talked more about that. We talked about many other things. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's dive in. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Melina Costanza. It's great to see you again. How have you been? Uh, I've been really good. I just been mostly training and working and keeping and kicking ass, (laughs) sweeping national Uh, championships here and there. You know, I mean, I suppose I've been doing that as well. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Nationals was really awesome. I got back about a week ago. We went. I went straight from nationals to Hawaii for a week just to relax and decompress. Oh, good for you. Hell yeah. Yeah, and I got back about a week ago and. Just been back in the gym. It's been really fun. It was a super cool comp. They did a really great job um, being in Boise. That was my first competition in Boise, actually. And the gyms did a great job. The setters did a great job. It was a super fun comp and cool to see everyone, as always. Hell yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, last time we talked, so this was about six months ago, I think, that we recorded our first conversation, our first uh, episode. And, um, you know, I asked you how your foot surgery recovery was going. You'd already had your surgery. And at the time, I published it in April. I don't remember exactly when we recorded it, but it was probably, you know, early March or something. Um, But you were still climbing with one foot. You were climbing with one climbing shoe and a Nike Air Force. And I'm like, damn, to go from that to sweeping nationals uh, from like March to October is pretty rad that's that's very very cool so um yeah so excited for you it was a it was an interesting and long journey um it i guess it wasn't as long as i as i realized but yeah i got surgery in november of last year i was out of my boot around yeah february february march of this year and then climbing in a climbing shoe maybe late march okay um so the recovery went very smoothly. I'm pretty much totally fine at this point. But yeah, I think there were a lot of doubts of that came from that experience, of course. Um, and I didn't know if I would want to compete again so soon or if I would be in the right physical state or mental state to do so. But I kind of trusted in a new process this time and felt like a little bit of a leap of faith in a lot of ways. But yeah, I... Yeah, it ended up turning out in a really, it ended up being a really positive experience in a lot of ways as well. Um, Mm. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I can't wait to dive into all of that. Yeah, I mean, I, that makes perfect sense. And I was imagining it must feel like that. Like you're, you've basically rebuilt yourself, you know, since the last time you stood on top of the podium, you have a new dietary and like fueling approach. We've talked about that in our last episode, like talking about eating disorders and um, realizing that, no, I need to fuel my training and and do something really differently here than I've done. And then you were just, you know, in the past spending so, so many hours in the gym, beating yourself down that classic, like Rocky montage, you know, if you're not sweating (laughs) and like throwing up, you're not doing enough sort of thing. So I was thinking like, yeah, this this must have been all just completely new and untested for you personally and just 
like, cool, you, you tried all that, like it worked, but it broke you and, and didn't work, you know, it wasn't sustainable. And now you're um, doing something completely different and so cool to see that it came to fruition and paid off for you in such a quick time frame. It makes me really excited for you. Like, I'm so curious to see where we go from here. You know, I feel like you must <laughs> just be getting started, which is, which is so cool. But um, yeah, I want to, I want to dive into, you will we'll go back in a second, talk about your preparation, what's been different, um, you know, coming back into competitions after everything you shared last fall. We'll get to that in a minute. And I have a bunch of uh, great patron questions for you. I got some uh, great questions from women. And it always happens that I get way more questions from dudes, you know, usually. And I, yeah. I got three questions or, or questions from three different people, I should say, a lot of questions within those. Um, and they're all women. So I was like, hell yeah, we should just focus on all of that because they touched on all the things that I was most curious about. Um, but before we dive into that, I want to start with uh, reading a message that I got from Tyson Shaney. Um, he was so excited for you. It was so fun to talk to him. I just watched your Instagram post from Women's Four in the bouldering in uh, the national championship finals and watching Tyson watch you, he's filming on his phone and then like, you know, you you like get the high point or you stick the zone or whatever and he's like shaking in his chair, he's all psyched <laughs> and then you top it and he's standing up and you came over and gave him a big hug. It just, oh, it just warmed my heart. It was so, it was so beautiful. But, um, but yeah, Tyson said, you know, yes, this was an amazing event for her. She battled so many things, worked for every top, every clip, almost every move. This was the best performance of her career. And the best part is because of how she carries herself, no one knew she was working so hard and grinding this out all week. Really excited for her. So there's so much in there. I, I wanted to just use that as a launching off point to hear what this competition was like for you because, you know, someone comes in and sweeps and there's this perception of like effortlessness, you know, it's just like, oh, they must've just been on form and, and just totally crushed everything that day. But it sounds like it was much more of a battle, a grind, like you really worked for it. Um, maybe that's always the case, you know, just we, we don't see that um, as spectators, but what did it feel like? What was the competition like for you? I'd love to dive into that. Yeah, I mean, for starters, having Tyson there was kind of a game changer for me. I mean, I grew up, from age eight all the way through 18 on his youth competitive team, Vertical World in Seattle, Washington. And he's one of the closest people in my life. He's supported me through a lot for a really, really long time. And having him there meant more than he would ever know or anyone would ever know. Um, but yeah, this competition was the hardest one I've ever done, I think. And Part of that came from maybe real or perceived expectations for me. Um, or I think someone mentioned that maybe now there was more of a narrative about me or about my competition experience than maybe there had been before. Um, I mean, I came in, I wasn't very vulnerable the first season that I competed. I don't know. Not, not many people knew very much about me. I wouldn't really train with anyone. I didn't live in near really anyone. And I would just show up at competitions. And it was nice to have a little bit of an anonymity there. But I feel like I kind of bared a lot of my experience and my soul out to the world 
previously, prior to this competition, last year when I didn't compete, and showing up, it felt almost like everyone there knew more than I ever thought I would tell, <laughs> I would share publicly. And um, there were people, I think, maybe had some questions about what it would be like with me in the future and what I was capable of now that I'd kind of taken a different path, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I felt pressure and I know a lot of it was probably just internal pressure. I wanted to know what I was capable of now. And I feel like this whole past year, I've been striving to reach a level that I thought I'd been at before. And I felt like I was always just constantly playing catch up, constantly mm. trying to be someone I used to be. Um, so I showed up at the competition trying to be that person, I think. And I really struggled with that the first couple of days, especially in the ropes competition, because I don't know, when you have one shot, when you're doing it in front of a crowd for the first time in years and you feel a level of pressure to execute perfectly, it is scary and it is hard. And this is the first competition where I felt such a deep amount of nervousness. I had never experienced anything like that before. I couldn't really eat for the entire duration of the week, Whoa. Um, which I didn't attribute to nerves at the time. Everyone in my life was like, are you nervous? Is that something that could be contributing? And I was like, no, this is, I definitely have a stomach bug or something. <laughs> yeah. But the stomach, that stomach bug miraculously the went away <laughs> of qualifiers and ended the last day of finals. Yeah. So I guess it was probably, <laughs> odds are it was not anything. I was eating just white rice and plain pasta basically the entire <laughs> comp um, hmm. and developing cold sores all over my mouth. I was like, seriously, a ball of stress the entire time. But I think after semifinals in sport, which previously sport had been my discipline, it had been what I had worked the hardest on and what I felt like I was better at than bouldering. Um, after semifinals, I ended up in, I don't know, I think fifth place. And I felt almost a weight lifted off of me, if that makes sense. I had been trying so hard to be perfect all competition and under shooting that and being disappointed with myself that I went into ISO Tyson was there actually. And we had a conversation about it um, where we, I, I, we talked about the fact that it wasn't going to be easy and that my expectation that I could come back and have it be easy or that I, I think I was maybe putting my past self on a pedestal thinking that maybe it had been easy in the past, which it never was mm -hmm. realistically. It's always been hard. It's always been a fight. It's never been something that I could just cruise through. It's been, if it were, then it wouldn't be very fun. Um, but it wouldn't be easy and that I'd have to fight for every move and that I shouldn't, there's no reason to put pressure on myself at this point because I'm not the same person that I was before and I shouldn't be trying to hold myself to that standard. I should be holding myself to a different one and I should be trying to see how far I can push myself now and what type of athlete I can be now. So yeah, I went into the, my final rope climb with no expectations on myself. And that was the first and only route of the entire competition where I really felt like myself. Hmm. And I got into a flow where I wasn't thinking about anything else except the next move, which is something that I've been really good at getting myself into previously. But I felt like I had to force myself into the right mindset. Hmm. Um, but there's kind of a beauty in that and being able to force yourself into a flow state that I really missed. There's so much about this competition that reminded me what I miss. 
and I didn't know what it was going to be like. And now that I've done it, all I want to do is train and compete and train and compete. <laughs> um, and That's yeah, awesome. the bouldering round, I've been training primarily bouldering recently. And the bouldering round is what I had been looking forward to the, to the most because I wanted to see what I could do now that I feel like I have a lot more power than I've ever had. I've been training a ton of strength and power because that's always been what's held me back the most. I feel like technically and power endurance wise, I have always been that those have always been my strengths, but I've been held back by doing moves that are just raw strength and power. So I spent basically a year doing strength and power and I was excited to see what, how that would look and how I would feel. And all of it felt very much like I was competing with myself. Like I was curious about my own growth. And I think this competition, the bouldering portion at least, I proved to myself that I'm not only a different climber than I was before, but I'm a better one mm. and I'm a better competitor and that I'm stronger and that I'm faster and that by fueling myself more, by doing more specific types of training instead of just grinding myself down, but being very hyper-specific for my goals, um, and by having, I think, a better mindset than I've ever had in a bouldering round before, I was really able to execute in a way that I never have previously. And I feel like I'm no longer chasing a previous version of myself, but I feel like the ceiling is so much higher now, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. And and what a, yeah, that's such a powerful energy to go into something feeling like, I'm just excited to see what I can do here. Like, this is this is cool. Let's go. You know, it just, um, I can feel that. I can feel that from the way you're describing it. And, uh, you know, I imagine that part of the pressure you were feeling going into this competition is not only what you're imagining other people thinking, or, you know, now everyone knows your story and you want it to be kind of this like Cinderella ending, right? Like you want, um, this proof to be out there that like this healthier approach works, but I'm sure part of that pressure is coming from yourself, right? Like you, I don't know about For you, I'm, sure. I'm probably projecting, I'm relating it to my own story, but it took a long time to trust that this different way was going to work, um, that I wasn't just totally blowing it and wasting a bunch of time. And a lot of the pressure that I've put on myself in the last few years has been like validation, wanting validation, wanting to prove to myself that I'm on the right path. You know, it doesn't matter if I've like arrived at my destination yet. I just need to know that I'm on the right path. And something that I was also hung up on for a long time, similar to what you were just describing is, you know, I spent a long time chasing Smith Rock skinny version of me and wanting to match that climber's performance. And the fact of the matter is I will never be the same climber. It's not that I will be worse. It's that I will be different. And it took me a long time to just embrace that, like, I am a different climber than I was before. And it's not apples to apples, right? Like, it's, it's, I'm not even comparing myself to previous benchmarks and strength. Or it's just all of it should be completely different. It almost doesn't make sense to compare myself to that past version of me. I'm bringing different strengths to the table. I can, you know, leverage uh, the muscles that I have in different ways. I can unlock beta in different ways. I can, you know, get around the types of holds that I have a hard time holding on to or whatever. And it's it's just different. But when I think of it that way, it's so clearly oh, better. It's just better. Like I'm enjoying it more and feels more sustainable and I'm healthier and, and all those things. So um, yeah, I agree with that. I agree so with that cool. a lot. Um, yeah, I think when I was first trying to 
I mean, obviously, yeah, there's this level of buy-in. Like, am I doing this? And because I, I want to be happier. I want to be healthier. But I also really want to keep performing. Yeah, you want to fucking win. Yeah. And you, yeah, and you want to know that those things are not mutually exclusive. And I felt like I had to prove to myself and to other people that those were not mutually exclusive. And I really wanted... Yeah, there was there were there was a long period of time where during my training I felt like I could never be as good. And I think that my mindset was also limiting my ability, inhibiting me from performing as well as I could have at the time, because I wasn't I didn't believe in the process. And by not believing in it, you're not really giving your all even when you think you are. Mm. But I spent so much time researching why it could be better talking to my nutritionist about my doubts and why I was struggling with the process and why I was struggling to believe that I could ever feel the way I did. Because when you have success in a certain way, you know that it's tried and true. You know that it works um, and it gave you the outcome that you wanted. And there were so many times I was tempted to kind of return to that path mm. um, more than I think I've admitted to most people. But I I know myself and I remember what it was like. And I remember winning competitions and hating it the whole time, mm. hating the competing, hating the climbing while I was performing well. Um, and I realized that it wasn't necessarily worth it. But not only that, this whole process has made me realize that I actually can the, the limit is just higher. When you're trying to get stronger and more powerful as opposed to lighter, there's just an upper, I mean, a lower limit, I guess, to how light you can really get while still performing. And I think that I crossed that threshold and went further and yeah. started performing worse. And when you think about it that way, it's like I was limiting myself. I could never have gotten to a level that I think I can get now. And it worked for a time, but it was unsustainable. There's so many negatives that I'm, with more clarity, I'm recognizing. They were hard to see at the time, and sometimes they can still be, it can always be tempting. I think that when you've had an eating disorder, it doesn't necessarily go away immediately. It's not like you go from having an eating disorder to not having an eating disorder, and it's just magical that way. It's that You remember what it was like, but yeah, I think the more I train like this, the more I see myself improve, the more I feel like an athlete. Because, I mean, I'm doing the type of exercises that you see, like, it's just athletics. I'm trying to be faster. I'm trying to be stronger. I'm doing box jumps. I'm doing, like, speed muscle-ups, you know? It's like I'm trying to be as well-rounded as possible because another reason I think I've bought in is watching international competitions recently. The climbs are so dynamic. And if you can't pull fast and you can't jump hard... It doesn't matter how light you are. Mm -hmm. If you can't get to the hold, who cares if you can hold it, you know? Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that the sport is evolving. And I think it is starting to select more for people who train to be athletes. Mm. And I am excited by that prospect. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so awesome. Um, I want to go back to this competition specifically. You know, you said you had enjoyed it more than you have I don't know if you said maybe ever or or at least in a long time, but then you also were so nervous that you could only eat rice for a week. <laughs> How do you reconcile those two things? Like, do you do you feel like um, 
Do you feel like you were able to let a lot of things go? Like, did this did this competition prove something to you? Do you feel like there was a release of some of those questions or anxieties um, and you'll be able to just enjoy the process more next time? Or is that just like your way? Like, you know, because it, it's something that's not intuitive to a lot of people, but I think there is room for both of those things. Like you can love something and enjoy it and truly want to do it and also feel nervous as shit and like a little bit miserable <laughs> while you're going through it. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but um, you're nervous because you care so much and and that can be connected to a positive thing, even though the symptom of it is is negative. So how are you feeling about that? Like, do you feel like competitions, um, how, how are you thinking about them moving forward? Like, is it more of a pure joy is it a complicated, messy mix because you care so much about doing well? How do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I First of all, I don't think I will feel that level of nerves in the future. I mean, it's hard to say. You never really know. But I think it being my first competition back, I mean, I didn't really compete all year. I didn't really do locals. I did one competition the North America Cup to qualify for nationals, but it was in Costa Rica. It was basically a glorified vacation. It definitely did not hold the same weight to me as this competition did. Um, I think it being my first real competition back made it feel heavier to me almost. And I put a lot more pressure on myself, but having gotten that out of my system almost, I think that moving forward, each competition will hold less weight and it'll be more, what am I like as an athlete now? How am I pushing the boundaries? How is my training paying off as opposed to, am I as good as I was? Mm. You know? Yeah. I think that this competition is almost like I was able to rid myself of that mentality, um, which feels really, really good. It feels like a burden, like a weight being lifted off of me. But I also do think that there's something to be said about nerves. And I read about a Formula One driver who throws up before every single, the night before every race that he does, but he basically wins every race. Hmm. And I think nerves are kind of a beautiful thing because it means that you care a lot. I think there is a, there can, there can be too much, there can be too much nervousness that can be counterproductive. But if you know how to manage it, it can be the thing that focuses you, mm -hmm. the thing that drives you and the thing that when you step out onto the mats or when you tie in and step out in front of a crowd prepared to get on a rope route, I think it can be the thing that helps you get into that mental flow state. Because sometimes when my nerves are really, really wired is when I'm like the most in tune with my body mm -hmm. and when I'm the most able to quiet my mind, which seems counterintuitive. And I know that a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's different. But for me, when the pressure is the highest, everything almost goes to like, goes quiet. Mm. And it's, you, yeah, nerves are uncomfortable, but in the moment, it feels like it, it pays off mm. to feel that level of discomfort going in channeling it and letting it be the thing that drives you. Yeah, it's beautifully said. I love that. I mean, we live in a society where we're really teaching people to do whatever they can to avoid anything that's uncomfortable, right? We're always comfortizing yeah. and softening the edges of everything. And 
I think it's um, such a like important and uh, beautiful life skill to learn how to dance with the fear or the the nervousness of doing things. You know, like I feel I feel nervous every single time I do an interview. But if I didn't have that, it's exactly what you're saying. Like it sharpens me. I feel the weight of it, the stakes of it. That makes me take things seriously. Um, I put more time into my prep, whatever it is. It's a better conversation because of that feeling. And that feeling is never going to go away. You know, some some of them feel um, more comfortable or easy than than others. It's very easy to talk to you. Um, but but it's it's both at once. Like I still have that and I've gotten better at having, you know, uh, just an honest conversation, present conversation with someone because I've learned how to dance with it. It's not because I've learned how to make it go away. It's just, you. I don't think you can, you know, it's just always going to be there. Yeah. And I think that if you really care about something, there's no shame in having nerves about it either. And I think sometimes people think that it's embarrassing to be nervous before an event, but if it really matters to you, I think it's natural. I think if you're able to manage it, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Mm. Love that. Let's dive into some questions from Allison. So Allison sent me an email. Allison's a patron. Thank you for your support, Allison. <laughs> and uh, she sent me an email after you won nationals requesting that you were going to be on. I think I'd already reached out to you because I'd talked to Tyson and um, I was oh, excited to talk with awesome. you again. Um, but yeah, I just have a whole list of questions and I was like, you just you just prepped my interview for me. This is amazing. I, lo- I love <laughs> amazing, all these yeah. questions. <laughs> I love that. So, and yeah, she broke them down, training, fueling, managing mindset expectations. There's categories. It's beautiful. So let's start with training. Um, Allison wanted to know, what is your what did your training look like in preparation for nationals? And specifically, what are some of the challenges when trying to get in peak shape for both bouldering and lead at the same time? You said that you think of yourself more as a lead competitor. Sounds like you have more of a natural propensity towards power endurance and endurance. And, you know, I've heard this a lot. For people that are more on that side of the spectrum, it seems like if they double down on strength and power, it's like a win-win, you know, they can kind of get those benefits across the board. But having said that, like you you can't totally neglect that side of things, I imagine, going into an on-site lead competition. So yeah, tell me about that. Are you training both at the same time? What does that look like? Uh, or what did, what did that look like in your lead up to nationals? Yeah, this is a really, really awesome question. I love talking about this because it is something that a lot of people struggle with. It's something that I've struggled with before, but I think that the way the trajectory that competition climbing is going right now, training for one really lends itself to training for the other. I think they kind of go hand in hand at this point because if you look at sport routes, especially on the World Cup circuit right now, they are very powerful. You see campus 360s and you see people who are, I don't know, doing one-arm lock-offs the entire time. It feels like a boulder problem. And if you're training, I mean, training both, obviously, but if you're not training power and strength, it doesn't matter how long you can hold on if you can't do the moves in isolation. But then you look at boulder rounds and they can be so long and you can, with five minutes and four or five climbs, you're putting on a lot of attempts. That's a lot of power endurance. If you can't make it through the round, if you can't give several quality attempts on five climbs back to back, then it doesn't matter if you can boulder something one time. It is a battle of stamina in itself. Um, so yeah, I think there is a lot of overlap, especially at this point in time. But 
that's a really, really cool thing. It's an opportunity to get well-rounded. Um, and I've always really enjoyed training for it. I What I've been doing more recently has been a linear training cycle, which means that I was training pretty much only strength for four straight weeks where I was in the gym constantly. I was doing a bunch of lifting. And then on the wall, I was doing some projecting, sure, but it was a lot of one to three max moves, mm. max difficulty movement in a row and trying to link a couple moves together, but focusing on it being the hardest moves that I possibly can do. That was about four weeks. And then I phased into a couple weeks of power. Um, I normally would have done more, but I had just come from a power cycle previously where it's a lot of how quickly can you pull? You're taking load off, trying to see how quickly you can generate force. Um, and that there was a lot of on the wall stuff. There were a lot of doing climbs quickly, a lot of really powerful boulder problems, but also off the wall using trying to measure how much force I was able to generate in the shortest amount of time. I don't know if you've used the tin deck before, but mm -hmm. that was something that I used a lot this cycle, both to measure the force I was able to generate in strength, but also the force over time when I was trying to do the power cycle using the lap machine with 60, 70 pounds, not even my full body weight, just trying to pull as quickly as I possibly can. Oh, cool. Trying to, yeah. And it was crazy how, if you look at the graphs, my power just from a lateral or like a lat pull down has over tripled since I started doing power earlier this year, which is crazy when you think about it to wow. triple. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of force over time I'm able to generate. Um, but I feel it in my climbing. I feel it when I'm trying to do these world cup style climbs. Um, a lot of it is also training momentum. So doing climbs, trying to get in a flow and let your momentum carry you through several movements, which ties along to coordination, obviously. Um, so there was a strength phase, a power phase, and then lastly, I did a power endurance phase. I think one of the things that was difficult this cycle is that I I think I got COVID like a couple weeks into my power endurance phase, and it lasted a really, really long time. Um, kind of took me out, but mm. by the nature of doing a linear cycle, it meant instead of just having a few weeks of not training, it was most of my power endurance cycle. And I didn't really have a power endurance base. Um, so my strength and power were awesome, but it cut largely into my power endurance cycle. Instead of when you're doing nonlinear, it would have just been a few weeks of everything. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the one thing to take into consideration. But at the end of the day... Don't get COVID. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that didn't really affect too much. Obviously, I'm not saying that really had well, an impact on my training but why is that is that do you, do you credit that to just having such a robust base of endurance and power endurance like because you're kind of naturally wired that way i mean because that's you know the power endurance is when it is supposed to all come together and you're kind of sharpening the sword so to speak you know leading into the competition and you missed a big chunk of that um how yeah. is it that you were still able to to do so well and lead i definitely felt it especially the first couple rounds qualifiers and semifinals i did not feel like my endurance and power endurance were that top notch i i think that there was a lot more that i was hoping to be able to give in training um but stuff like that happens you know i i really believe that competition climbing is more mental than it is physical and i 
think when it came down to it in the final on the final climb when i get in a flow state i rarely feel the pump on any climb and when i got down from topping it i was completely bricked i like <laughs> pumped like i've never been pumped before but i didn't notice it when i was climbing whoa so That's yeah so i don't know that it was necessarily that i was i definitely was not the fittest at that comp I know for a fact that there were girls I was competing with who were had more endurance than I did, but the climb was very physical. It was a lot of strength and power. Um, it was on the steepest angle, which was still not super steep in that gym, but it was on the steepest angle that we hadn't had in the competition up to that point. And it was very bouldery and going into it, I knew that I'd been training for this specific type of problem a specific type of route and I just trusted myself and I just promised that I'd get as high as I possibly could and that ended up working out really well for me but I had to fight I had to fight really really hard there were multiple moments I have never been a vocal climber up until this year oh, wow. and for the first time on the route I was growling on getting to holds and I think on every single boulder problem in finals too I just have try been trying really really hard and I think I've been Throughout training, also praising my effort more than praising my performance. Mm. I read a book uh, called Mindset by Carol Dweck, which was research on, it was a lot about parenting, but also about how you approach problems and people who are praised um, on their outcome, on the outcome of their, or just in general, uh, for, I think a lot of the studies were on their intelligence versus their effort. Um, a lot of test subjects were given math problems and one group was praised for their effort and one group was praised for the percentage that they got right. And the effort group ended up being much more successful in the future and trying to challenge themselves a lot more, mm. which I know is kind of a side note, but I have been doing a lot of, I've been reading a lot of sports psychology literature and looking into studies like that. I just found it really interesting. So throughout the cycle, I've been trying my best to praise myself on my effort. Um, and I think it's, as a result, I just try a lot harder. I've always been someone who tries really hard on the wall, but it's been kind of next level how much I've been able to like get out of myself. And oftentimes I surprise myself on the wall where I'm like, oh, wow, that effort <laughs> really paid off. Um, but it's been cool to to get into a mindset where it's not perfection and not trying to do something with ease. Um, that's a trap a lot of people can fall into wanting to make everything look easy mm -hmm. and trying to be the best easily. But at the end of the day, it's effort is a lot more rewarding too, mm. because showing yourself how, what you can accomplish when you try your hardest, to me, it feels a lot more rewarding than just knowing I can do things without effort. Mm-hmm. Tyson's uh, message is making more and more sense. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, yeah. For people that want to check that out, I'll link to Mindset in the show notes along with uh, Tindek and a code to Tindek. If you use code Nugget, you get, I think, $10 off or something. I have an affiliate deal with those guys because I love I love that thing. Um yeah, and then I, I am familiar with some of that psychology stuff. I, I think the way I've heard it is, uh, you know, just kind of sharing more context around this. Um, if you tell kids, good job, you're so smart, versus good job, you tried so hard, 
that has a very different impact on them as they develop. And the kids that are taught that they are smart, that's more of a fixed trait. And then as soon as they come across something that's challenging for them or that challenges that self-belief, they tend to crumble like, oh no, I, I can't do this. I'm supposed to be smart. I don't have anything to fall back on. I'm just gonna avoid things that feel hard like that. And then if you say, on the flip side, good job, you tried so hard, like that was amazing effort that can be applied to anything. They build an identity around their effort and then they almost are more likely to seek out those those challenging things. Right. And yeah, also, which is, which is effort, so cool. Right. Effort is always something that is controllable too. You can't control how well you perform. You can't control what, how hard the problems are going to be when in on a math test or in a climbing competition. You can't control how many tops you're going to... I mean, realistically, you can't control what the level will be or what you get, but you can always control your mindset and you can always control how much effort you apply to that. And if you're applying the maximum amount of effort, then regardless of the result, how can you possibly be disappointed in yourself? You know, you have gained more information, more data points on how you can customize or adapt your training program the following cycle, but you can't be upset and you cannot have regrets about the specific event. And that's kind of what I've realized as well. Um, if I've given everything I can, then the placement is kind of irrelevant, isn't it? That's cool. Yeah, that's a very healthy mindset. It's uh, it's fascinating how effort is trainable too, or practicable, yeah, right? Like it. Yeah, if if I haven't um, if I haven't done it in a while, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I'm um, yeah, what, taking a break from projecting or taking a break from hard training or something. I do notice that it's something that um comes back quickly like it's it's something that's not there right away and i have to rediscover how to really really try hard it's like you can't quite access it i marvel at people that can some people can just do it every single time um but i kind of have to build more momentum towards it again yeah, yeah i feel that too and i think that it's something that just by working at it over and over and over again and being also honest with myself when i get off a wall being like was that a good effort. If I got to the top and I felt like it wasn't that good of an effort, am I more or less proud of myself than if I have tried my absolute hardest on a different climb and not topped it, but did more than I expected to because I fought so hard, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I think that was another thing that I had to train is just being honest with myself and praising myself when it was deserved and then not praising myself when it wasn't a good effort um, and realizing that I can have the best session ever, but if I'm not trying that hard, then I don't know. It doesn't feel as rewarding to me anymore. Mm, that's awesome. Allison wanted to know about your fueling. I thought this was such a good question. Yeah, I'll just read the whole thing. What was Melina's fueling like leading up to the comp? Obviously, she doesn't need to go into super specific details here about her diet, but if she's comfortable discussing it, it would be interesting to hear how her fueling strategy for training has changed since the last national she competed in, especially given her openness about her struggles with underfueling. Yeah, I mean, at previous competitions and previous seasons, I would spend the weeks leading into a competition basically cutting weight as much as I could. And then even during the competition, I would hardly be eating, especially not enough carbs throughout the event and I'd be eating protein but at that point really what you need on event day is carbohydrates um because fuel, especially yeah. yeah and then what I've come to realize during an event is that 
you want quick carbohydrates too, like during the event, like between problems or right before, not right before, but like 20 minutes before you go out. Um, I think that was something that I never really, there's so much I didn't know Mm -hmm. is also the thing. There's so much I didn't understand and working with a nutritionist has been amazing and eye-opening um and she's the best her name is monica and she watched my she watched me compete at nationals too which was so cute she found it the link herself and watched me um (laughs) i take it she's not a climber she's not a climber oh she is a climber she climbs around 510 511 i think but she has been getting it into getting into it more and we talk about it too but learning more about nutrition was such a game changer because yeah, there's an element like, yes, I wanted to recover. Yes, I wanted to be happy and healthy. Um, but it was so interesting learning about the ways that you can fuel and why it works and how that makes you a better athlete. Because um, obviously the priority at first was kind of repairing my relationship with food and not being afraid to eat different food groups and stuff like that. But once we had been working together for a while, we started, it was almost like we were strategizing. How do we optimize my nutrition? How are we, am I getting enough protein after, but also like what exactly does protein do and why does it work and why does it not work if I'm not eating carbs with it? You know, mm. like the actual protein synthesis process requires carbohydrates because that is the fuel source. Um, and learning so much about that, it really changed my outlook on fueling and about on training because those two really go hand in hand if you're training without fueling properly properly you lose a lot of what you could be gaining you know and i also just felt kind of silly almost being like i was putting so much work in and not resting enough to get the benefit that way and not fueling enough to get the benefit that way so mm-hmm. realistically what how much of that was I getting? No wonder I was plateauing. No wonder I wasn't getting stronger. No wonder I wasn't getting fitter. I was spending so expending so much energy without replenishing it in the ways that were the most important. And also, I wasn't able to sleep as well because I wasn't fueling enough. And those processes are correlated as well. It's just all been mind blowing. <laughs> so long answer to the question. Basically, leading up to the event, I was eating a ton of carbs. That was kind of my priority. And even in the event when I was feeling so nervous. That I could barely eat. I was making, I was basically forcing myself to eat as much as I could in terms of carbs. Yeah, you and said then, white rice and pasta. Did you just have like a giant bowl of rice you were taking bites of between boulder problems or what, what, did, that, <laughs> what did that look like? It was like rice at night or during the day. My family wanted to go out to sushi and I could not eat raw fish. <laughs> I love sushi. I love sushi, sushi to death. I'm Japanese. Sushi is like my blood, but I could not eat sushi. I was eating like udon noodles and white rice and between climbs for some reason pure sugar like pure candy was totally fine and totally digestible so i was eating a ton of sour patch kids throughout this comp i was fueled by sour patch kids (laughs) it went down so easy but yeah i was forcing myself to eat and i was trying to eat vegetables i couldn't really eat vegetables i couldn't really eat Anything with like like peanut butter was like really hard for me. But leading into the event, I felt like I fueled a lot and I deliberately tried to eat more just to recover and have as much energy as possible, um, which is kind of the opposite approach as I've taken previously. But mm. I was trying to eat more going into the event and throughout the comp, a lot of carbohydrates. Protein, I felt like was a little bit less important and I could kind of put it on the back burner because I wasn't trying to 
gain make gains you know but it was really really important for me to have enough energy to last through the comp and yeah. even when i wasn't even when i wasn't feeling like i could eat i was kind of just making myself yeah and we will be right back this episode is brought to you by rumple Fall is here. We're heading toward winter, and that means the temps are dropping, and it's time to get cozy. And nothing is cozier than bundling up with a puffy blanket from Rumple. I have three Rumple blankets, you guys. I'm not kidding. And because it's been cold in the van at night, I have been obsessed with the Sherpa Puffy Blanket. And maybe you're listening to this thinking, Stephen, that's great. I love that for you. I'm glad you like your cozy blanket, but I've got bills to pay. I've got other things to spend money on. I'm not going to buy myself a fancy blanket. Well, you're going to need gift ideas for the holidays. And right now is the perfect time to stock up on Rumple gear and grab your gifts for friends and loved ones for the holidays. Rumple's Not Home for the Holidays sale is live right now with 25% off almost everything on the site. Plus, they're doing a free gift with all qualifying orders from Black Friday through Cyber Monday. So give the gift of coziness this holiday season by shopping at Rumple. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and get 25% off almost everything on the site during their holiday sale. The sale is live right now and will go from November 14th to December 4th. So you still have time to grab your cozy gifts for the holidays. One more time, go to rumple.com slash nugget. No discount code needed. Rumple.com slash nugget. This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. It's been nearly five years since Fizzy Vantage created their flagship product, Supercharged Collagen, a product now used daily by thousands of passionate climbers. I am one of them. Dozens of pro climbers like Daniel Woods, Paige Glasson, Drew Ruana, and many others swear by their daily collagen usage, and for good reason, it works. There's tons of research on collagen and Six new peer-reviewed studies published in the last two years demonstrate numerous positive benefits for athletes who consume collagen daily. In one study, collagen supplementation improved the rate of force development. Another study found greater tendon hypertrophy and stiffness with collagen versus just training alone. Another showed a decrease in ACL ruptures. And a meta-analysis showed that 15 grams of collagen per day can increase collagen synthesis rates, improve joint functionality, reduce joint pain, and improve muscle recovery. So many benefits to collagen. The list goes on and on. You can learn more about how supercharged collagen can support your training and climbing at fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. And now back to the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love that. It is. It's interesting. This is a tangent. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, how, how this approach of fueling better and training strength and power doesn't have the same ceiling on it that getting light does, right? Like you get light and then you kind of are as good as you are and you can't build on that over like a decade, right? Totally get that. And um, 
Another really great, simple benefit of it, I when I was a lot lighter, I always thought I was a really easy gainer. Like I thought if I had a cookie or like, you know, a dessert or pasta, I would like immediately put some weight on, which was true, but it was because I was underfueled and I didn't have enough glycogen in my system. And so I would store extra water, but I would feel the difference because I wasn't very strong. So like those couple pounds would make a big difference. When you're fueled really well all the time and you're eating more carbohydrates all the time, you don't get that change in weight. Like you can go into a comp, like, you know, loaded up and fueled and like primed and ready. And yeah, you you don't, you don't get that same thing. Or at least that's been my experience. Like my weight doesn't fluctuate the way that it used to. It feels way more stable, which is so cool. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I also just like by fueling more and by eating enough and by working out and gaining muscle, it's like your metabolism rises by so much that I feel like throughout my training cycle, I like couldn't eat enough. Like I was, <laughs> I was having to eat more than I've like ever eaten. I was probably eating twice as many calories, honestly, but it wasn't like I just, I, I was really scared of gaining weight. And when I talked to my nutritionist, she was like, look, you can't gain muscle without, or you have to gain weight to gain muscle. Like muscle has weight. And to get more powerful, to get stronger, you need to gain muscle. So like you can't be afraid of gaining weight because also weight is just, it's hard. You don't get the full picture when you're just looking at the number on the scale Mm -hmm. either. Because when you look at like the best, a lot of the best comp climbers right now are jacked, you know, because the weight of muscle, it's like, that isn't just idle weight. It is what is propelling you up the wall, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That has been the biggest, like the craziest realization for me is that like, I went from wanting to have no muscle mass and wanting to basically, I was like, I hope my legs atrophy because I just like, <laughs> I don't need leg muscle. Why would I need leg muscle? It's like to jump, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you, to generate force. This entire cycle has been like, how much can I put on as much muscle as I possibly can, which is a completely different outlook, but makes bouldering way more enjoyable, especially I think this comp, it really, it was eye-opening just how much more fun competing was when I felt like I could pull. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah. Love that. What do you do? So you mentioned earlier, you know, like disordered eating, having an eating disorder, like that's, that's never totally over. Like those you know, it's a lie to say that you're cured of it and you never think about it. You never struggle with it again. It's always kind of there. Um, what do you do when you, you know, stumble into um, dark thoughts or trigger foods or things like that? Like, do you still struggle with that? And what do you do when you are catching yourself, um, you know, kind of spiraling? I think it was a lot more previously. I think more recently. I've just been more comfortable with what I'm doing. And I mean, realistically, seeing the results of what I've been doing and how I've been treating this cycle differently has reinforced the idea that this is the right move for me and that I think it's the right move for everyone, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, when I do start feeling doubtful, a lot of times I've, it, there's an indication when I'm feeling like I'm climbing not as well as I have previously, sometimes my thoughts have gone to, I wonder if I should just like go back to the tried and true method, go back to what I was doing before, because I know that even if it is uncomfortable or bad for my health, I know it works, but I feel like I've just been collecting more and more data points about why 
the way I'm doing it now feels better and it has been better for my performance as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I find myself going into those negative thoughts, if it is because I'm not climbing as well, I've stopped thinking so much. My immediate reaction is no longer, I need to lose weight. It is now, I need to take some days off, Mm. which was a really, really hard, that was a hard place to get. And it took a lot of time, um, especially because I previously would have been like, I need to climb more. I need to train more. But I've just, a lot of it comes with education, I think. I have been trying to educate myself on how, on training in kind of all of its different facets. And a lot of it, I listened to this really interesting podcast episode on the Huberman Lab podcast. Um, He had a guest speaker, Dr. Andy Galpin, who kind of specializes in working with athletes um, and muscle development specifically. But he's talked a lot about overtraining. Um, and how it's so easy to kind of cross that threshold. And if you have, I think you said five consecutive sessions where you don't feel like you, where you're not hitting PRs or you're not making, you feel, you don't feel like you're making gains or you feel depleted for five consecutive sessions. It's an indication that you are, if not overtraining, then I think, I don't remember the terminology he used, but basically it was like non-functional overreaching, I think, Mm. which was, and he said that when you get into this overreaching stage, obviously you have to overreach a little bit to make positive adaptations. Um, You have to be putting yourself in just uncomfortable situations. You have to be pushing yourself past the point of comfort to improve. But when you're in this non-functional overreaching stage, um, you basically can need weeks to recover, weeks to get back to a level of an energy level on the level of rest and recovery where you are able to make those positive adaptations again. And that was pretty shocking to me because there have been periods in my life when I've definitely had weeks or even months where I didn't feel like I was making any progress. Um, And I was definitely in an overtraining state in my past, but now I've Gotten, I've gotten to be at a place where I'm a lot more in tune with my body. Um, I recognize signals that it sends me more at this point. And if I really am struggling, if I feel like I can't pull, it's an indication that maybe I shouldn't do biceps that day because maybe I need to just go home and chill. Maybe I need to take a rest day or even a second rest day. Maybe I am depleting myself to the point where it no longer is serving me. And that came with research, that came with scientific evidence that came with maturity but it wasn't an easy place to get to and i have seen the benefits of it firsthand and it is crazy how much rest can be the reason why i feel like i've made the gains that i have yeah totally i i think oh yeah it's so it's so fascinating it's it's um everything that you're saying makes sense it resonates really strongly with me and i still think it's it can be really hard to know where the line is between honoring the rest that you need versus knowing when, how to just put your head down and do the work, you know, and keep showing up. Like, that's hard. I I still find it really confusing. And I wonder how you think about that. Do you keep a training journal? Do you have someone guiding your training? I can't remember if you're working directly with a coach these days, but um, how do you know how do you decide, you know, like I need to just show up and do the workout today because 
I know that's going to get me to where I want to go, even if I like, you know, don't want to feel tired, whatever. Some of those, you know, there's some days where you'd have to like kind of motivate like that. Um, how do you decide between that and I'm feeling tired? That's an indication that I'm not ready for this workout. I need to rest and honor my body and its needs. And I know I'm going to get stronger if I take that extra rest day. It is a really, really hard decision to make every single time for me. Even being at the place where I am now, it still is hard for me every single time um, because it can feel very similar sometimes. For me, that five days that I mentioned, I usually, I wouldn't let it get to five days probably at this point, but if I feel bad one day, usually I'll try and push through. I'll try and push through a couple of hard, bad days because there have been many times throughout my life when I have a bad day and the next day is awesome. Mm. And I just had to kind of put my head down and every day can't be your best day. You can't PR every single day as much as we'd all like to, but you need to take the bad days with the good days. And unless you feel like your body physically is kind of giving out on you, I think that's a pretty good indication that it's time to take a break. If you feel like you cannot pull hard enough, you feel like you can't generate enough and it isn't just like, I feel like a little tired today. I feel a little weak today. It's like, I cannot create the force that I need to do the movements that I'm trying to do. Mm. Um, For me, that's a pretty good indication. The other day I was at the gym and I'm not working directly with the coach, but as I mentioned before, I, my girlfriend, Alex Johnson, I mean, she's so experienced and she, she does do a lot of coaching for a lot of other people and she has won multiple world cups and she has, She's pretty cool. She does, she's 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 she's, she's, <laughs> she's she, all right. She's all right, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's got a lot of education in personal training actually. Um, so we will bounce ideas off of each other a lot. She'll be at the gym doing physical therapy for her knee or something and she'll see me and she'll be like, "I don't know if you should still be climbing right now." <laughs> but I trust her a lot and I trust the process and the program that we kind of wrote together a lot. Mm. Um, but we both have come to the agreement that if I'm getting too depleted and this cycle, the one I'm on currently post nationals, we agreed that I could take on a little more maybe than I have in previous cycles, but we're both, we've had an agreement that I'm really, really deliberate with every single thing I do. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to make gains from it. And it's going to benefit me and make me stronger. And if it doesn't, and if I have to half-ass it, or Mm. if I'm doing it and I feel like my muscles are so worked that I'm not getting anything out of it, then I'm not going to do it. Mm. And that the concept of approaching workouts with that level of intentionality is something that, I mean, we've talked so much about it and I've talked with other coaches about it too. It is the most important thing I think for making progress. Every single time you get on the wall, every single time you do a rep of any exercise, it is to improve and you're focusing on the muscle group or you're focusing on doing the motion perfectly or you're focusing on giving as much effort as you possibly can whatever the intention is i guess but you are doing it deliberately and you're doing it to see the benefit from it you're not doing it just to tire yourself out you're not doing it just to do it yeah for me every single thing i do is there's a reason i do it and if i don't if i don't see the reason i'll try and seek out reasons um i have there have been so many drills where 
Alex and I have been talking and I'm like, why? But why? But why do I do it? But why do I, what do I gain? She's like, I don't know. Just look it up. <laughs> um, so there's a lot that I have still to learn, but I feel like this past year, I've just been kind of like a sponge for information and mm. it's been so enlightening in so many ways. It's really fun to learn about mm, how yeah. your body adapts, how, like why you get stronger when you do these things as opposed to I'm just doing them because I've always done them, you know? Yeah. What a powerful lens to look at your training through. I think I want to highlight what you just said because that is very, very wise and and a very good guide for um, for knowing, you know, whether to push through or not. Yeah, it's like, you know, if it's, if it's moonboard day, if you decided that on Tuesday I'm going to climb on the moonboard, taking a minute to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish here? What is the purpose of my Tuesday night session on the moonboard? Oh, it's to, you know, work on power, maybe finger strength, execution, like, you know, trying really hard on hard moves when I'm in a weird body position, whatever, whatever it is, a combination of all those things. If you're, you know, if you're a little sore and a little tired and you warm up and then you start feeling good and you actually feel good on the moonboard and you're able to, you know, get some of those things from your session, great, do it. And if you just can't, like there's some days where you just, like something's missing. Like I just can't climb on the moonboard today. It's kicking my ass. I can, you know, the warmups feel hard or whatever. That's so clarifying. It's like, well, I probably can't get what I set out to get out of this today. Like it's just not the day for it. Um, yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I, I, and also sometimes when you, do for example the moonboard day if you're like my intention is to do to be able to do big moves and like have better contact strength i mean i know that i have been guilty of it's my moonboard day i guess i'll just do a bunch of really small moves on crimps super close to each other because mm. that's the type of climb that i like and this whole past year i've been trying to do work my weaknesses as much as i possibly can um i've been a lot for example i've been doing a lot of pinches on the overhang and in the beginning i was like i'm doing climbing v9 v10 in the gym but on this wall i'm doing like v5 v6 pinch overhung climbs and it's like the grade is a little bit irrelevant but as long as you're like focusing deliberately on what you're trying to do that was how i saw the biggest improvement by being like you know what i accept that i am not as good at this as i am at other things and that's why i'm doing it and I need to get better at this specific type of thing. So who cares if everyone in the gym is better than I am at this? Who cares if I am projecting it with people who are flashing it? And who cares if the grade itself is lower than anything else that I do? I am doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is like ideally not an ego trip, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I love that. Um, Allison has some questions around managing mindset and expectations, and we've talked about this quite a lot already, um, but I will read her questions anyway and just see if there's any gaps you want to fill in here. Um, but yeah, Allison writes, what was Melina's mindset or mental space expectations going into nationals? Looking from the outside, she seemed really confident and ready to throw down, but I wonder if she felt any kind of pressure did she have any goals or try to go in without expectations after having a brief hiatus from the national comp scene? Yeah, one thing I will add, I know that we have talked about that at least a little bit, a lot of the pressure that I felt and how I wasn't necessarily 100% confident in my abilities, but I was trying to be. Um, I think there's a level of 
you just have to go to win. Every competition that I go to, I go to win. And I didn't care. I mean, I hadn't competed against a lot of these people in a long time. I, you don't know how you size up against other people sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's not a one-on-one matchup. It's not like wrestling where you need to know what other people can do. All you need to know is what you can do and you need to prepare as well as you can. But come comp day, you can't get into the isolation and be intimidated by other people. You have to go in to win and you have to believe that you're the best because you, if no one has disproven that, then like, why shouldn't you think that, you know? And I think I've read a lot of sports psychology books where people, I don't know, you, it's hard to believe that you're the best when you don't have anything to back it up. But in theory, shouldn't it be just as hard to not believe that, to believe that you, I guess, <laughs> aren't the best because there's nothing backing up that you are. There's no proof either um, way. Yeah. There's no proof, proof either way. And it's just something that I've, it's where I've worked on it a lot. It's hard to always believe. And you don't have to be like specifically, I'm better than you, you know, like I'm better than this person. It's like, you just have to believe that you are capable of doing every single climb that they give you. Cause first of all, they aren't giving you climbs that they don't want to be topped. They want every climb to be toppable um, for the field. And if you're showing up believing that you can top every single climb, then you're already halfway there, in my opinion. If you don't believe that you can do it, even if you physically are capable of it, even if you're the strongest person there, you're not going to do it because you don't think that you can. Yeah. And that belief in yourself, it's hard to cultivate. It is. And obviously you need to have some idea of your own ability because it doesn't also help for you to not prepare enough and then go in delusional and think that you can top everything when you haven't put in the work. But I think that putting in the work should give you a level of confidence. When you arrive at the event, you can't change your physical ability at all. But a lot of people who could win on a given day don't because of their mindset. And the mindset on the given day is the only controllable at that point. So yeah, I go into a comp expecting nothing but knowing i can win that's been also kind of a distinction from my previous competitions i think i used to expect to win Mm. and i don't i don't expect anything anymore i don't expect to win i don't expect it to be easy but i know i can and i know i'm capable of it and i know i'm capable of topping anything that i'm given but I have to put in the effort too. I have to, I put in the work up to this point. Why would I not put in the effort now that I'm here? You Mm -hmm. know, I have to be fighting for every single move probably, but even if I'm fighting for every single move, there's no award for who does it the most easily or who makes it look the prettiest, (laughs) most graceful. And I know that, I mean, the slab climb, gosh, I've been really trying to work on slab, but the slab climb and finals for bouldering, I know I made it look absolutely hideous. I watched the video back and I don't even know how I stayed on the wall, but it, it again, it's about effort and I it might not have been easy as easy for me as it was for other people, but I am not ashamed to have had to fight for it. Mm. And that I think I think is where my mindset now is different than it's been before. Very cool. Very cool. This is also from Allison. After doing so well in semis, was it nerve-wracking coming out last in both finals? Maybe it's no big deal when you're actually in it, but I always get nervous for athletes who come out last and seem to be the favorite to win. I thought that was a great question. It is a good question. Yeah. I I didn't actually come out last for ropes, which was a new 
position for me to be in. I don't think I've ever in a U.S. comp in the past three years. I think that's my first time ever not coming out last, um, which was kind of fun, honestly. But for bouldering, yeah, coming out last, I was really excited by the opportunity. I don't know. Pressure is a privilege. I feel very honored to be able to come out last and to be I guess a favorite but at the end of the day I mean it's a clean slate anything can happen all I knew is that even when other people topped a climb I I don't know I feel like I was able to kind of kick myself into a mindset where it was like I just have to top I have to top this climb I knew that I had won by the end of the third climb and even coming out for the fourth climb it was like I have to top I have to get to the last hold mm. it's almost like like there was absolutely nothing else that I would accept at mm. that point. And I feel like when you can get into that mindset, it's kind of the other people become irrelevant. Not that they're irrelevant, but the fact that there are other people there is irrelevant. Right. The fact that it is a competition. I mean, I'm very competitive, but I'm more competitive with myself than I am with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I needed to get to the top for myself. And I didn't care if anyone else had, and I didn't care if it had been top before or if it was un like at that point untopped, it was about proving to myself that I could do every single climb there. Cause I knew every round I was like, I want to do every single climb and every round I didn't up till that point. And coming out for finals, it was like, this is my opportunity to prove to myself that I can do every climb in a final round because I don't think I've ever done that in, in a nationals or a team trial event. Wow. So I don't know. I, I set other goals for myself that are kind of independent of placement, independent of other athletes. Um, this comp, it was, I want to top all the climbs. And I definitely fell short of that, but it still is fun to try, you know, to kind of play those games with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great goal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's a, yeah. I mean, I suppose there's, um, there's like one bigger goal in a competition, like wanting to flash every climb or something, but that's, that's about as high a goal as you can set for yourself going into a comp. True. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and lastly, from Allison, loved this one. Uh, what's the story between, or I'm sorry, what's the story behind AJ's amazing Melina Costanza shirt? <laughs> she was one of the commentators, which is so fun. And she mentioned it was one of a kind. Yeah, tell me about it AJ's is. shirt. It is the only one in existence for now, but I will say there's been a lot of interest since <laughs> that. <laughs> I think, she, yeah, it, there. I have gotten so many messages about that. A lot of people want it, um, but I made it myself. Love because that. I am an egomaniac. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I found it. Basically, I watched this tennis documentary on Netflix where this tennis player's girlfriend or fiance had a picture had a shirt with his picture all over it and i was like oh i have ideas now <laughs> so i had it custom made on etsy and then i gifted it to alex before she even knew she was commentating um but i told her that it was like her final shirt like the final shirt and when i was in finals that was going to be the shirt like the hype wife shirt so <laughs> the hype wife shirt i love it yeah. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Long story short, I made it for her. I made it of myself. <laughs> Can you describe it? Is it just a picture of you? It is six pictures of me. <laughs> Super dramatic with my name on the top and lightning bolts. Yes. And 
<laughs> it looks awesome. It looks awesome. And so cool. I have a bunch of people wanting it. And I also was planning on getting her another shirt for the next competition so she can have a couple to alternate back and forth between. <laughs> what a fucking baller move. I hope you make a website that's just selling shirts of you. <laughs> that would be so sick. That would definitely be a power move. That's for sure. That would be a power move. I would buy one. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. I have questions from Emily and from Aisha. Let's see here. We've okay. I'll just ask all these, and um, again, we've covered some of this, and you can fill in any gaps if things come to mind. So this is from Emily. Do you feel like you were successful in balancing training, fueling, and your mental health this year leading up to your double national title wins? How did you approach this year differently compared to 2021? What would you tell other athletes who struggle with eating disorders? So yeah, we've touched on a lot of that. Um, haven't touched on some of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, do I think I balanced all of that well? I think for the most part, yeah. I think I don't expect perfection from myself um, because I think when you want yourself to be perfect all the time, that's another thing that I think I've kind of come to terms with is that I wanted myself to be perfect, but it's more about, again, effort um, and taking things day by day, step by step. And yeah, I didn't always have the best balance this entire season. It was an entire year of recovery from multiple things. Um, but I think I'm really proud of what I did do and how I did treat myself and how I handled the, I guess, obstacles when they arose and how I, even when I feel like I didn't always balance all those three categories as well as I could have. I think I recovered well from that. And I think I gave myself grace for not always being perfect and chose good over perfect and chose mm. progress step by step over doing everything right the first time. And that worked the best for me. And I learned a lot from that whole experience. I think I'm getting better at balance. And that doesn't mean, I don't know, I still, I may be better at balance, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still working through how to optimize even better for previous training cycles. I think, as I mentioned before, I'm planning on putting in more hours, maybe putting in more time in different areas. Um, for example, slab would be one of the areas that I'm going to be putting more time into in the upcoming cycle. Um, I've kind of, from nationals, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how I can improve what my strengths and weaknesses at the event were and what I want to, how I want to tailor my upcoming training program to accommodate those. Um, but yeah, I think that there are always ways that I'm trying to look to optimize and to improve. And if it isn't working for me, I am at a place now where I think I'm adaptable and I'm willing to listen to my body and see what it's telling me um, to try and find an even better balance between all those things. And I'm really grateful to have the time and to have the support to do that. Hmm. Um, in terms of what I would tell other people who have struggled with eating disorders, like, man, I get it. I think that's kind of the main thing. It's like, I understand it. I understand the struggle and the appeal of 
doing things in a certain way that might not be the most healthy. Um, and anyone I think who says who like, I don't know that you can get people who ever, I think a lot of people were very supportive, but not everyone really understood necessarily, but I do. It's hard to, it's a hard cycle to break out of. And I think it's easy to fall into it. I mean, especially in a sport where strength to body weight ratio is a factor and anyone's lying. I think if you say it's not a factor, but what I would tell people is that it might be scary, but it is very possible to get stronger than you can get lighter. And it does take work. It takes a lot of work. I worked harder this year than I've ever worked before. It was hard. It was time consuming. It was demoralizing at times. And I wanted to give up at times, but it is possible. And I do think that my ceiling is higher than it's been before. I think that I have potential to be a much better athlete than I ever could have been before and to reach goals that were kind of only dreams before. Mm -hmm. um, I just have a lot more enjoyment of the process than I have. And at the end of the day, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then why are you doing it? Yeah, <laughs> That's what I came to realize about myself because yeah, like winning things is cool, but winning things and being happy is possible. And also, even if you're not winning things, I don't know, there are just, there's a lot in life that is more important than just winning competitions. Yeah. And <laughs> I think being happy and doing the process in a way that felt more fulfilling and more true to my core values was, it just made it easier and more, I don't know. I wanted to be in the gym. Every time I was in the gym, I wanted to be in the gym and I wanted to be doing more and I wanted to be putting in that work and I wanted to be also healing, you know? I wanted to be fueling myself more and I wanted to, when I started feeling the energy that I had in the gym, it also just felt good. A lot of it feels good and yeah, there's a level of discomfort that I think is really important and like you do need to be you need to experience a level of struggle, I think, but it doesn't need to be, I don't know, it doesn't need to be painful. It doesn't need to be as disheartening as I think it was for me. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to swim upstream. Like you can yeah. swim downstream. You can do, yeah. you can do the easier <laughs> thing. You can push the boulder down the hill instead of trying to push it up the hill. I mean, I, yeah, I, I love what you said about, um, about about feeling happy and and how there's so much more you know to competitions than than winning so much more to life than competitions i remember i mean me 6 years ago would have kind of rolled my eyes at that you know i'd heard that before like everyone says that and i knew that like yeah i know like i get it you know but i want to be so much better than i am like i just care about improving and i was just head down i didn't want to be told that like but you should enjoy life too. And climbing's not everything. It's like, don't fucking tell me that. I just want to get better at climbing. But what, I, what I've realized now in hindsight is that I was buying into this story that I think, you know, we, we hear about, we see in the movies and all these things that all of that sacrifice was going to actually pay off. 
And what I've now learned is that the path that I was on was never going to be worth all of the things that I was giving up for, you know, for it, you know, like if I <clears throat> climbed 514 and climbed all the 514s at Smith Rock that I'd wanted to do, I still would have been an empty shell of a person, you know, who was looking to climbing for fulfillment and didn't have a good community and didn't love my job and didn't feel fulfilled and had an unhealthy relationship with my body and with food and all those other things would have still been there. I just would have been that shell of a person who had done a few extra things, you know, but I think that yeah. is, I think that's why people get stuck in that way of thinking is there's belief that it's all going to work out and that it's all going to be worth it in the end. You know, it's like the Creed movies or something where like you end up the champion and you end up with the hot girl and like everything just works out beautifully. <laughs> and then life's, you know, allegedly like going to be happy ever after. But of course it's not. Of course yeah. it's not. And if you're not, if you're not happy with who you are before you achieve the thing, yeah, you're, you're going to get to the other side of that goal, the same person. Yeah. And also there, yeah, I think that what also makes a goal so fulfilling is achieving it in a way that feels true to who you are and mm. feels true to your values. Um, and what I've started to value more than just winning for the sake of winning is like doing it in a way that feels that I don't feel guilt over. Mm. And I think I carried a lot of guilt with me for a long time because no one really knew what I was doing behind the scenes and like, Whoa, it's like your like your dirty little secret or something. Yeah, there was a lot that I was hiding. And I think that the weight of hiding that was, I don't know, it was, it weighed on me more than like, I mean, the physical weight of like just eating more for starters. But it was like, it was harder for me to live like that and to know I was, I felt deceptive. It felt like I was... I would be letting a lot of people down if they knew that. Hmm. And I mean, from this, from where I'm at now, I realize that it isn't, it shouldn't be shameful. It shouldn't be taboo. It should be something that, I mean, I felt scared to ask for support because I, A, I didn't want it to be taken away from me if we're being realistic, but B, I felt like I would be really judged for all of that. And I hope that we can get to a place where that isn't something we judge people for, but people are able to get help without scrutiny, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think that just by starting that conversation and that's one of the reasons that I've tried to be more vocal and outspoken about it because as much as it isn't like necessarily a fun topic, um, <laughs> I mean, it's a part of like my, what I've, been through and yeah. i don't think it should be taboo it's just it is what part of my life experience and i hope that other people realize that like if it's part of yours too then that's okay and there are ways that you can improve from that and have lead a better quality of life but that you shouldn't be i guess ashamed to yeah talk about it because it is a pretty common experience for a lot of people mm -hmm. man i you are speaking my language. I feel very strongly like the world would be better, so much better if we did that with just about everything, you know? Yeah, um, true. Agree. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, people screw up. People learn hard lessons. And I think 
giving one another permission to recognize like, this is something I struggle with and really need help with is such a gift. And is the only way that, I mean, yeah, that, that we help people get to better places, right? Like otherwise they're just on their own floundering and, and you know, drowning in the stream, trying to swim against the, the current or whatever. So I love everything you just shared. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. Um, okay, let's see here. I have uh, a question from Aisha. And this one, we might have covered all of this at this point. <laughs> this is okay. in the exact same vein of everything we've been talking about. But again, I'll ask it anyway and, and see if you have gaps you want to fill in. But um, Aisha writes, you have been pretty open about your struggles with disordered eating and your performance. Coming back to competitions, did you have any anxiety that it may have negative effects on you? I think um, Aisha means the competition itself. And if so, yeah. what mental or other strategies did you use to deal with this? I mean, I Are think we just there, rehashing at this point? Yeah, go ahead. There Sorry. is something that I feel like we haven't necessarily covered, which is like, did I think that the competition would maybe trigger mm. me kind of back into some of the habits I'd had before? And it's not something I didn't think of, um, but with the support of the people that I was lucky to have a lot of people I care about a lot at the competition. Um, I was there with my entire family, with my coach, Tyson Shaney, and with my girlfriend, Alex. And it was basically all the people I care about the most in the world in one place. Um, it felt as nervous as I was, I felt very, very safe. And it feels good to be surrounded by people you know, love you unconditionally, and love you with or without winning competitions. I mean, that's probably the last thing that my parents care about. They love me and they want me to do well, but that is the last thing that they care about, realistically. Um, these are all people who support me no matter what, and they would rather me be happy and healthy than just win championships. So I think it was something that I considered at one point, but I think, I don't know, I trusted myself. I think had I competed last season, I would not have been ready for that. But I've built a foundation that I'm proud of and that I believe in. And I went into the competition knowing that I was surrounded by as much support as I possibly could be. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. What's next for you? Are you open with your <laughs> goals? Do you talk? Do you feel comfortable talking about them? Do you have like a next big competition that's written on the calendar that's your guiding light right now? I do. I am going to be competing at U.S. Team Trials in, it hasn't been announced yet, but probably late February, early March. That would be 60% of the qualification points. Basically, Nationals is 40%. Team Trials is 60% of the ranking points to see if you qualify for the U.S. team, which this year will be the top two athletes. So smaller U.S. team than previously because... Anyone qualified for the Olympic qualifying events already has a buy, basically. So from these two competitions, it'll be fewer people selected. But I want to do World Cups next year. I really want to do them. I don't know. Last season, the last season I did World Cups, I wasn't necessarily... There were other factors for sure, but I wasn't necessarily satisfied with my performance. 
And I think I have a lot more to give and I'm a lot more confident that I can reach the goals that I've set for myself. So World Cup season next year would be mm. a goal. Um, but just training, I think, has been the thing that's been on my mind the most recently. I have goals and I've got competitions that I'd like to do, but I've really fallen back in love with the process of training, with trying new things, trying to focus on different goals, I guess, or different... I have different points of focus for this upcoming cycle than I have previously. And I'm really, really excited to see what I can do. I'm having a lot of fun in the gym. I'm having a lot of fun climbing with friends. And I'm just excited for that whole part of the process because I love competing. Competing is my favorite thing, but training is also my favorite thing. I feel like <laughs> I can have two favorite things, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't love competing without the training and vice versa. Mm. I think they go really hand in hand. Um, so the next competition is team trials. I would love to be on the world cup circuit. I'd love to be on the U S team. I'm excited. I think that there's a lot that I have left to do on the world cup circuit. And I, hope that in future this year and future years i've got a lot of big goals for myself but for right now i'm just really really excited about this upcoming training cycle i'm excited to write down my program i'm excited to be kind of putting in the work every single day um and for me that's the most fulfilling thing just doing having every day be a step in the direction that i want to go and i know that my goals are my goals are big but i don't think they're out of reach and i believe that with constant daily work that those are all gonna they're all gonna be possibilities in the future hell yeah love that and you said team trials are likely february something like yeah that. late february early march is okay. historically when they've been but the dates have yet to be announced okay i was talking to allison vest in rocklands and she was kind of you know of course she's like in this world, follows it very closely, knows exactly what's going on with the comps and stuff. And she was explaining to me um, all the different kind of avenues towards qualifying for Paris for the Olympics. And, um, you know, she we talked about it for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. And she was basically saying like, she she's not, she doesn't envy the climbers that are going to be competing next year and trying to make it to the Olympics because it's such a uniquely grueling stretch of competition, kind of like unprecedented. Um, but I'm embarrassed to say I still don't really understand. <laughs> uh, it's complicated. Yeah, it it's really complicated. <laughs> complicated. So is Paris an option for you? Is that a goal for you? Um, how are you thinking about the Olympics for 2024? Paris is not an option for me. Basically, in order to be doing the Olympic qualifying events now, you had to be on the U.S. team last from year. The previous, yeah, from the previous Got U.S. It. qualifying year. Yeah. Because... You had to go to the world championships, which were prior to U.S. nationals, to get an invite to... That was an Olympic qualifying event, and you had to compete there to get an invite to any of the future Olympic qualifying events. So, long. that was a long answer. Basically, no. Okay. I am no longer eligible for this year because I didn't compete last year. But I... I mean, I... I'm excited about the fact that LA 2028, bouldering, lead, and speed will all be individual disciplines. Mm. So it's another opportunity for more athletes from the United States and every country to compete. It'll be a bigger event. Every year at the Olympics, it becomes a bigger event. I'm really, really excited for the people who've qualified so far. I think that we've got a really excellent Olympic team 
Um, and it'll be super exciting to watch and see what they can do. There's one more spot available for the Boulder lead combined female team. The men's team has been already, all the quota spots have been filled with Jesse um, qualifying in Pan Ams recently, and then Colin qualifying at the World Championships. But Natalia qualified for women at the Pan American Games, and I'm really excited to see another athlete can qualify at the upcoming OQE Olympic qualifying event series. Um, so that should be really fun to watch, and I'm cool. excited. The US team or the US team at the Olympics is going to be really strong. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah! Congratulations to all those athletes and. Yeah, so exciting to see. So excited to see who's going to take that final spot for for the USA. Um, Melina, this has been awesome. You're you're the best. Um, I just oh, thank it, you. <laughs> it's so fun to talk to you again. It's so easy to talk to you. But again, I'm I'm you know I, I think I mentioned this last time, but I'm so struck at how thoughtful and articulate you are. I love that you're in this season of being a sponge and soaking up all this information. And it's so cool of you to not only be doing that for yourself, but to be willing to talk about everything you're experiencing in real time and bring people along on that journey. You know, it's scary. Um, it's intimidating. It puts pressure on you. And there was no guarantee that this was all going to work out the way that it has. Um, but nonetheless, um, so inspiring, no matter what happened, like such a, such a gift to give people this permission, like, it's okay to be messy and to make, you know, to screw up and try things that really don't work and, um, you know, even, even get sucked into something really unhealthy because you care so much about this thing, like that happens and it happens for a reason to the best of us. And, you know, if that's where you're at, you're not alone and there's a path out of it. So thank you for your time today. Thanks for sharing as much as you've shared. And, um, thanks to everyone who submitted questions. This has been an awesome conversation and, I didn't really have to do that much. So it was just a win-win for, for, for me. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I have a list of fun facts about Melina that are rollovers from our last conversation. I have like four or five of them that we didn't get to. So we're going to dive into those. It's going to be super fun. Um, that's going to be available for patrons. So patrons stick around. There's going to be an extra with Melina that'll be out today as you're listening to this. For the rest of you, if you want to check that out, you can sign up for Patreon. There's a free seven-day trial, so you can sign up for free and go listen to the rest of the conversation over there. But once again, Melina, thank you. And thanks so much to everyone who submitted questions and thank all of you for tuning in and for listening. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, friends. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Melina as much as I did. We ended up recording for about 20 more minutes. We covered some more fun facts that I learned about Melina from her girlfriend, Alex Johnson. We talked about Alex Johnson and their relationship and some of the things that Melina has learned from that relationship and the ways in which Alex has rubbed off on her. That was really fun and a lot more. We had a great time. And that bonus episode is available right now for patrons who support the show for $5 per month or more. And I'm doing this for just about every episode these days. I'm putting out these little extras. If you guys love the show and you want even more, you can get more of the good stuff by signing up for Patreon. It's a great way to support me and to support the show. I couldn't do it without you guys. It means a lot to me. And this way you get some really fun bonus content too. You get a bunch of stuff. You get ad-free episodes. You never have to listen to ads ever again. 
There's uncut videos on Patreon if you want to watch some of these interviews and see the guests as we're talking. You can submit questions for my guests and a lot more. And right now, there is a seven-day free trial. So if you just want to go listen to 20 more minutes with Melina, you can do that right now for free. Just head over to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. There's a link right there in your podcast app. If you scroll down, it takes just a few minutes to sign up. It's super easy. There's a seven-day free trial and you can cancel at any time. No questions asked. So you can go set that up, listen to that 20-minute extra, see if you like it, see if you want more. I hope you stick around. No hard feelings if you can't support right now. I totally get it. I just love having you guys listening and I hope you're enjoying the show. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you guys have an amazing week wherever you are. Lots of love to all of you. And we will see you next time. Like we do it.